church to worship with us today. Um, I don't know if you saw the first egg drop, but it was pretty crazy. Um, now we know how to get rid of the litter problem in our in our city. We just need to convince the kids or something about candy at the end of everything because it was like a swarm of locusts. Like all the stuff was there, and then in a moment, like within a minute, probably everything's gone. All that egg stuffing. For those of you who pitched in the stuffed eggs, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And I know the kids and parents do too. Uh, welcome to Easter. For, for Christ followers, for those who follow Jesus Christ, it really doesn't get any bigger than the day that we're celebrating today in Easter. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead miraculously. It was about 2,000 years ago, God, He took on human flesh. He became a man. He lived a perfect life among imperfect people. And although He never sinned, He took the sin of the whole world upon Himself And he suffered the cruel punishment that was deserved by the worst of criminals. He died on a cross, crucifixion, one of the most painful ways to die. He suffered in anguish for over six hours. And at six hours of being on the cross, he was declared dead, taken down from the cross, buried in a tomb. And he appeared three days later, Easter Sunday. We were celebrating his resurrection. Talked to my kids last night about, hey, you know what, you know, because he's like, the helicopter's coming tomorrow. Dad, I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, but what's Easter about? And he's like, was it he He rose? Yeah, that's right. He rose. We're celebrating on, on Easter the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Just as he said he would. He, he said that he would. This was also foretold about him that he would rise from the dead. And over the course of 40 days, he, he showed himself in bodily form, like physical bodily form, not a ghost, but he showed himself and he let others come close to him, see that he was really him, and, and they could touch his, his pierced hands. They could see just all that had, you know, and, and they were like, wow, this is really you. He showed himself to his disciples. He showed himself and verified that he was alive to his family. There was even a gathering of 500 people at one time that he, he actually showed up and he's, he declared, I'm alive. And most of his early followers, for those that were convinced that he, he really did rise from the dead, that he was God himself, that they began to take the message of a risen Savior, their risen Savior, and they began to spread that throughout the land, throughout the region. And many, many people died spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And through the century, that has been the pattern. That this message continues to go on, that people are willing to say, I believe with my whole life that this is not just some great story, or that he wasn't just some great teacher, but that Jesus, in fact, was the Son of God who took the sins of the world. He was the Savior of the world. So today we're really remembering this, the empty tomb. This is what Easter is all about. The empty tomb, the fact that he's not dead in the ground. It's the resurrection, really, that makes Jesus extraordinary. And it separates Jesus from all the other God ideas that are out there. There's a lot of different God claims that are out there. The the resurrection is what separates Jesus. No one else ever really claimed to rise from the dead. But the extraordinary event that we're really celebrating today, it's not just an amazing piece of history that you might watch on TV. It's intended to be more than that. Jesus rose from the dead to make a way for people like us to live a different kind of life, to have a different set of purposes, to have a a meaning to the lives that we live, the day in and day out daily grind. He he died and was resurrected in, in and it really impacts us in very, very practical ways. So I want to look at some of those briefly this morning. When you came in, you received this bulletin. And you may not have heard the announcement earlier, but there's a few things I want to draw your attention to. One is there's a card in there. We call it our connection card. And on the connection card, it just gives you a place to put your name and some contact info. If you would, let us know you were here. 
and then you can kind of drop this in the in the offering baskets when they're passed around. Let's us know you were here. Let's us know if you want any information about our church. We've been meeting for the church uh, for five years. We're about five years old. We've been meeting in this spot for four of those years, and so we're really glad that you've come today. Our kids are having a special treat. There's an illusionist in there for the kids, and so but we have classes for all ages, different age breakdowns. There's also this listening guide you see in there, and you follow along with the message that I'm walking through right here. But think about the word extraordinary. You see on the front of your bulletin cover, this, this picture is, is, is something pretty extraordinary, I think. This is the Guinness record holder for the longest fingernails. Now that is extraordinary. It's kind of nasty, if you ask me. <laughs> this picture has been haunting me all week since we found it. It's extraordinarily weird. The, the definition of extraordinary is to go beyond the usual. She definitely pulled that off. She's, to go beyond the normal, the routine, I'd say she qualifies. You know, she is extraordinary. Um, but honestly, it's easy to be extraordinarily weird. But that's not the kind of extraordinary that we really want. We want something extraordinary in a, in a more important way. We don't just want... That's why we have this kind of superhero-looking ordinary guy on the front cover, is we want not just ordinary kids, we want extraordinary kids. We, same thing with our careers. We don't want a, a normal, typical career. We want an extraordinary career. Why? Because extraordinary comes with all sorts of advantages. If you're extraordinary, so much of life just seems to open up, it, it appears in our mind. But the problem is, for most of us, so much of our lives just fall into the ordinary category. We have ordinary work, Ordinary relationships, ordinary kids, ordinary struggles. But if you go back to the resurrection, 40 days after, after Jesus rose, the scripture says that he ascended, meaning he, he went up into heaven where he is now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then it says something really extraordinary began to occur. He left his message with his followers. and He said, I'm going to use you to spread this throughout this area. And the number of Christ's followers from that point on just began to explode. People began to share and share and share. And that is really amazing. That's extraordinary that the message has lived on. It's actually grown. Just Christianity continues to grow. And what is amazing to me is, is not just that, that he'd entrusted the message to anybody, but the people that he decided to entrust it to, they were not the extraordinary people of that day. They were not wealthy people. They weren't necessarily the most powerful or well-connected bunch. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He entrusted his message to pretty ordinary people. He left it to people that were just pretty regular. And so I'm going to walk through a passage of Scripture that highlights just some things about this bunch of people that he left it to. One of the authors of one of the books of the Bible, his name is the Apostle Paul, he planted multiple churches. And one of the churches that he planted, he was writing a letter back to them. And this is what he said to the church. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 30. He said, he says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. What he's saying is, when God tapped you on the heart and said, hey, you need to be a Christ follower. He says, go back to that moment in your mind when you decided to follow Christ. Go back to that place. He says, just think of the condition. Think of the state that you were in when all that occurred. He said this, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. This verse, what it does, it really lists out the top three extras in our eyes, that we would say, or even from the world's viewpoint, that makes a person extraordinary. These, we're going to call these our top three extras. And so you can fill these in on this listening guide here in these empty spaces on the left. Our top three extras. It starts with this. Paul writes, not many of you. He's talking about a specific church. And he says, not many of you are wise. 
by human standards. So he looks over the bunch of people in the church and he says, you know, there's a bunch of C-plus students, maybe some B-minus, a couple of D students in there, certainly no A students in the church in Corinth. And he said, you know, it's a pretty ordinary bunch of people. You weren't wise, he said, by human standards. Now he's drawing this out. He's trying to explain some things about God and what he's trying to do through entrusting this message to ordinary people. But intelligence is one of those extras that, they, that we think is extraordinary. Whenever you run across someone who's brilliant, man, they really stand out. They stand above the pack. This guy on the screen here, his name is Taylor Wilson. You may have seen something on TV about him or read about him. While he was in high school, he became the first teen to accomplish nuclear fusion. Now, I don't know what you were doing in high school, but uh, I was playing sports. You know, I, I was... If I created anything, it had nothing to do with science, you know, and it rarely worked. I, I was just trying to stumble through life and relationships. But this guy, he's in his parents' garage building things, inventing things, creating things. And this guy now, he's, he's in college. He has a great future. He's actually teaching. He has a Ph.D. teaching physics at the university level, which is remarkable. He's got a, a, a remarkable just or a, a great career headed into the future. He's working on the cure for cancer. Now, compared to this guy, I don't know how you feel, but I feel pretty ordinary. You know, I'm not able to pull those kinds of things off. I was thinking about it. I went swimming this week with my kids, and I showed them the proper mechanics of the cannonball. But I tried to teach them how to play the game Risk, but I got stuck in the middle of the directions. So we threw out the direction. We're like, okay. When every time you get six, you get to wipe off people off the board. We had no idea what it, if it had anything to do with the, the game, but I couldn't figure out the game. A great intellect, it provides a tremendous advantage in life. That's why we study. That's why we read. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how smart you are, we all have a limit. We all have a capacity when it comes to our intellect. Some of the most intelligent people, their lives, they break down at a certain point. And so that's one of the extras that we would that's a, that's one of the top things we would value. Well, look at the second one on the list, influence. Paul writes, not many in that church was influential. Again, this was a pretty important church that helped spread the message of Jesus. But there wasn't very many influential people in the bunch. Influence is the power to make things happen. And there's really two things that generate influence. One is our position. If you have a high position and you're the right person to make things happen, you can get things really done. Like for us to get this helicopter Easter egg drop off the ground, it was it was really difficult. We couldn't just call up the mayor of Riverside and say, hey, mayor, this is Josh, because he would not know who I am. I don't have the position that he would recognize, but there are people that have that position to be able to say, hey, yeah, let me call the mayor for you. He's a personal friend. See, if you have position, that opens doors. Another thing that opens doors is money. This guy has both, Donald Trump, position and money. You know, he has the ability to hire people, fire people, if you have money, you can solve all sorts of problems. And, and influence, it, it is great. But again, no matter how great our influence really becomes, we all fall short of having the power to make things happen that really matter to us. Things that really last, eternal things, our influence kind of hits a limit. Our influence cannot necessarily fix our health. Our influence cannot necessarily do anything about our relationships. It may, but our power and our money our position, our money, it has limits once again. It's great to have influence, but it falls, falls short. The third one that you see in this verse from our top 
three extras is opportunity. These are three people that you might recognize. If someone is born into royalty in another country, man, they're just given a tremendous amount of opportunities. You know, they just, how did they get the opportunity? They didn't do anything. They were just born into the right family, and all of a sudden, everything's opened up. They didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't choose their parents. God just had them born to those parents, and it opened up all these opportunities. We don't have that kind of a system in our country. There's not royalty, but we have our own type of, of opportunity that presents itself in our country. So you see these different people. These are all people that opportunity struck. Far right, you have the late founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, gained all sorts of influence. Tremendous um, you know, resources as well by the end of his life. But it wasn't just because, you know, necessarily only from his intelligence or his powerful position. What happened was he had an opportunity. He was born, he was born to two college uh, students who decided they couldn't raise him. They decided he couldn't raise him, and so they put him up for adoption. He was raised by, his adopted parents raised him in Mountain View, California. His adopted father basically taught him at a very early age, how to dismantle. His father was a, was a mechanic and a carpenter. And so at an early age, he taught him how to dismantle radios and how to dismantle and rebuild televisions at a young age. And then his mom taught him how to read before even sending him to kindergarten. So he developed this, op, these, this strong intellect and a creative side, but he was given this tremendous opportunity. See, he was placed in just the right place to be able to develop into the man that he became. He's an extraordinary, he was an extraordinary individual. Over to the far left, you've got Carrie Underwood. She's country music superstar. But again, pretty ordinary roots. Her father worked in a sawmill. Mother was a school teacher. She was working as a waitress in a pizzeria when she auditioned for and won the American Idol. And now she's this huge superstar. She was in the right place, the right time. Or the lady in the middle, Kate Middleton. She enrolled in college where... Prince William went to school. St. Andrews in Scotland. Who would know that she would enroll in the same place and meet the prince and have the wedding of her dreams? Again, the opportunity to be extraordinary for all these people, it involved being in the right place at the right time. That's how opportunity works. And these three extras, these three things, intelligence, influence, and opportunity, we might think if I was in charge or if we were in charge of the spread of a movement like Christianity, that we would entrust the message of Jesus to people that are intelligent, influential, and who have all the opportunities. But see, God has a different, think- he has a different thought on this. These are not on top- God's top three list. So if you want to write God's top three extras, you'll see the, really the opposite comparison beside our top three extras in life. He has a different thought. We're tempted to think, oh, if, if so-and-so would just become a Christian, then Christianity would really spread. But honestly, God has a different thought on that. He tends to use the ordinary, over and over. He'll use the ordinary people. And look at what he says in verse 27. After Paul says the church didn't have the influential, intelligent, and, you know, and the noble birth, he said, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, he doesn't work the way we work. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of the world and the things that are not, meaning the nobodies, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Why does God do this? Why does God have such a preference for the ordinary? There's really two reasons you see from that verse there. There's two reasons. One is, he wants to set up a completely different standard of, of what is truly extraordinary. He wants, to, he wants to be in charge of setting the standard for what really should stand out. And then second, 
He wants to do things in a way that could never be mistaken as our doing. He wants to get all the credit for it. So he continues to work through the ordinary over and over and over again so that he gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. He works through the weak, the despised, the rejected. That initial bunch of followers, they were not the people that we would have picked, but he decided to use them. And look at what has happened through the movement of Christianity. So what are are the extras that God says makes life really extraordinary? Here's God's top three extras. It's found in the very next verse, verse 30. Paul writes, it's because of God, because of him, that you, speaking to the church, he says, because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Those are God's top three extras. The first one, and you can put these in the listening guide, the first one is righteousness. That stands in opposition to intelligence. Righteousness means being right with God. To be right with God means we do what he says is right. This is how God measures IQ. You see, intellectual intelligence comes with all sorts of advantages, but in life, moral intelligence comes with far more advantages. Honestly, doing what's right is far more powerful. It's far more important. It's, it's far more meaningful and fulfilling. If you're extraordinarily intelligent and you can do nuclear fusion, man, that's great. But if you can't conquer your anger... If you can't figure out how to put relationships together, if you can't figure out how to navigate through conflict or build a good marriage, then what turns out is our life is really empty. Our intelligence only gets us so far. There's a limit. Hosea 14.9, God says this about righteousness. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. He says, the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. You see, it's the really smart people who understand that the ways of God are actually, they are what's right. His ways are righteous. They are, they are what is true and what is right. When, when God describes the way marriage works in the Bible, or when God describes how we should manage our, our money, or when God describes how we should deal with our anger or raise our kids, when he lays out how life really works, he's not just giving his opinions on the matter and saying, here, try this out. What he's really doing is he's describing reality. He's saying, this is how life really works. And when something is real, you can discover reality in one of two ways. The first thing you can do is you can run into it and fall, or the second, you can see it and then adjust to it. You know, you see reality and you go, wow, I need to adjust my life to that, so I adjust. Or I just kind of run into it. You know, I just keep bouncing off of reality and refuse to change my life. I just fall down constantly when I crash up against what God says is real. When you leave this room today, you, you can either use your eyes, which is what I would encourage. You can use your eyes and you can walk out safely. You'll see things and you adjust to reality. Or you can close your eyes and feel your way out. And, and it's probably going to be a painful experience for you. But when it comes to doing what is right, we tend to think the same thing. We, it's the same way with get what God says is right. We can kind of... We can choose to walk in His ways or we can just feel our way through life, which turns out to be extremely painful, extremely regretful. And when we run into enough walls and we decide to do life God's way, we still end up messing up because the truth is we lack the capacity to do what's right. It's like me trying to do nuclear fusion. I lack the intelligence. I just don't have the capacity to pull that off. Well, all of us lack the moral capacity is what the Bible teaches only Jesus can help. Only He can put us right with God no matter how wrong we've been. Only Jesus can increase our capacity for doing what is right. 
So this area is very important. Most people would say, I want righteousness. I want to be right with God before the end of my life or even now. I want to be right with God. But God says the only way to be right with God is found in Jesus Christ. That's one of the extras. That's the first extra on God's list. The second one we see is holiness. Paul says Jesus provides holiness. Holiness is living for God's purposes. The word, the word holy, it means to set something apart for God's purpose, to have a different purpose. It's where we get the word holiday from. It's, it's a holy day. It's a day that's different from any other. It has a different purpose. And so a holy person is someone who has a different purpose than just the ordinary purposes that we find in this world. They're very different. They do life different. Ordinary people, like the way of this world, is to live for our own pleasure, to live for our own advancement. We say, he who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. We, we make our lives about our own purpose. But holy people, people who are in Christ, live their, live their ordinary lives for a much larger purpose than themselves. What else could explain sacrificial generosity? Holiness. What else could explain opening up our lives to other people? Like opening up our family, making my family life more than just my family, but deciding to serve and love other people. For all of us to do things like that, to serve and love people, when needs come up to give resources to help with people's real needs, what else could explain those kinds of radical shifts in lifestyle other than a person who is in Christ living for a different set of purposes? Those things are far different than things we encounter in this world. And that's the extra that God to us in Christ. We can live our ordinary lives for his purposes and we can impact generation upon generation upon generation in doing that. The third thing you see is this. God says redemption comes through Jesus Christ. Redemption means to buy back the past. A few years ago, I sold my favorite softball bat. It was the Easton Synergy and it was the only bat I could really hit with, I think. But um, it seemed like it just I could hit the best with this bat. Well, they banned the bat from most of the leagues that we played for, and so I, you know, the umpires would see the bat and they'd say, "You can't use that bat." And so eventually, I, I stopped trying to use it, followed the rules. I should be doing that anyway. And I turned the bat in, or I, I finally just said, "I'm going to have to sell this thing," and so I sold it to a friend. And then I went and played one season at Big League Dreams in Paris, where you can use any bat that you want, apparently. Because everybody was using that bat there. And I'm like, I just had my synergy back. But I couldn't. I'd sold it. I couldn't get it back. I'd sold it. The truth is, we've all sold our past. There's all sorts of decisions that you and I have made that we would just say, man, if I could, I would do it all over. I wish I could do those things over. Unfortunately, we can't do that. We can't return the past if we don't like it. We can't go back and rewind. We can make better decisions today and this week, but we can never return what we bought last week. Last week and all of the past is this non-refundable purchase that we've... And we can't redeem our past, but the good thing is there is someone who can. There's someone who can buy back your past, and that is Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, what it is, is it was payment for our past. He paid the penalty for our rebellion. All that broken stuff of your and my past, He's the only one with the power to redeem it. He's the only one that can buy it back. And the proof that he has the power to redeem your past, is the resurrection. This is what we're celebrating today. If Jesus can rise from the dead, then what part of your past and what part of my past can he not resurrect as well? He can breathe life into what we would say is, is shameful, into what we would say is, is broken and irreparable. He can breathe life into us. But in order for God, or in order for him, Jesus, to redeem your past, you have to give him your past. You, you have to say, 
I'm going to give you my past, and also you have to give him your future. That's the idea of following Christ is really giving him both my past and my future. Redemption is a much better issue or gift than opportunity that the world would give us because this is an opportunity that no one else could, could give to you. Someone in Jesus, he can turn the wreckage of our past into something good. And so God's three extras are found. These things are only found in Jesus Christ. So I want to close with just asking one question. And here's that question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you decided to turn your life to Him? I'm not asking if you believe in Him. I'm not asking if you admire Him. And I'm not asking if you're a fan of Jesus. What I'm asking is, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you ever personally decided to receive His forgiveness, His mercy? And are you ready to follow Him? Which following means, I'm going to line my life up with His life. It's a very, very practical matter. Would you take out connection card. Take out this connection card and flip it onto the back side. I'd like to ask you to take a spiritual survey. In a moment, our band's going to come up right now, and in a moment, our ushers are going to be receiving this morning's offering. And when they come around with the offering, would you drop off this white card in that basket? But on the back of this card, you'll see there's this spiritual survey. And here's the survey. And I would like to ask you to to answer this survey And we will not contact you unless you check this bottom box on that survey, which says, please contact me about this. And there's actually one more box that's not on here that may be up on this screen that that we'll see in a second. I've already made a commitment to follow Jesus. Just let us know where you're at on this. I've already made a commitment in the past to follow Jesus. Or second, I'm making a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time today. Or third, I am renewing my commitment to follow Jesus. And then fourth... I'm considering this commitment, but I'm not ready. And then last, I'm not interested at this time. This fourth one, I'm not cons- or I am considering this commitment, but I'm not ready. It's not on that box, or it's not on this list, but it should have been. So can you just write it in if that's you? We're just wanting to know where people are at. And we will not contact you unless you check that final box that says, please contact me about this. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking further at how God can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. And here's the three topics that we're going to tackle over the next three weeks. April 7th, we're going to look at our ordinary days. All of us have pretty ordinary days. And then the week after, we'll look at ordinary routines. We all have mundane things that we do over and over. And sometimes we wonder, is this really worth it? The Scripture has a whole lot to say about what God wants to do through the ordinary things that we face. And you might be, in a, you might be stuck related to just maybe you're having a hard time finding meaning in, in the life you're living. I'd encourage you to come. Listen to what God has to say about just the ordinary things we face. And then the last week we'll look at on the 21st, how to deal with the trouble we face. What is God using trouble for? We're going to look at what the Scripture has to say about this. So I'd invite you to come back next week and, and worship with us and attend this whole message series. We've got some great things coming up through this month. You do see that there's this upcoming events insert. Some great things going on over the next two months. So you've come at a great time. Let's pray together. Father.